All right. I think everybody's done praying. Why don't we go to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Jonah. I'm sure you probably have at some point. Or if you've read it lately. By the way, I encourage you, whenever we're going through a book or looking at a character, <coughs> it's okay to read ahead. It's okay to get a good idea of what's going on. And, and uh, But here's a thought I had. If men wrote the Bible instead of the Holy Spirit, if men wrote the Bible like some claim they did, Jonah would only have three chapters, in, in my opinion. I don't think Jonah would have a chapter four. We like happy endings to our stories. Uh, I, occasionally, I'll see, and they're not often out there, but occasionally. Have you ever watched a movie that you're really enjoying and it had a bad ending? Yeah. I was so disappointed at the movie Titanic when that ship went down at the end. I mean, I couldn't believe that that happened. I'm kidding. But aside from historical accuracy, man, we like stories with happy endings. We don't want a bad ending. So chapter 3 ends in happiness, but not chapter 4. Uh, as far as men would be concerned, if you're writing this story for entertainment or for whatever reason, selfish reasons, uh, chapter 3 is where you stop because that's where the story ends on a very high note, uh, uh, but not chapter 4. This is not our type of ending. Makes the book of Jonah end on a sour note. It's a chapter filled with unhappiness. You've got Jonah who's unhappy with God, and you've got God who's unhappy with Jonah. And then the book just ends. <laughs> it doesn't even resolve anything. Uh, it, these are, I, I don't offer this as proof, but it is another uh, part of us realizing as you read through Scripture that this is not a man-written book. This is a God-written book. And if you've ever noticed, the Bible's pretty raw about people. Uh, it gives you the good things about the characters, and then it also gives you the bad things about the character. I mean, we, David is the greatest king. He's an absolute hero and a legend to Israel, and yet it shows his ugly incidents that happened to him as well. And the Bible is real uh, about uh, what it gives. And so uh, I just found it interesting that uh, here we, we have this huge revival, and then wah, 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 we get chapter 4. And it's a depressing chapter, but we're going to look at it tonight. Because... Truthfully, we can be thankful it didn't stop at chapter 3 because chapter 4 is chock full of lessons. And, and I always talk to my kids about you get lessons positively and you also get lessons negatively. Uh, watch for negative lessons as well. If you can see someone make a bonehead move and you can register, I'm not going to make that move. We were just talking about gambling here, not doing it, but not doing it is what we were talking about. Uh, not about uh, how ridiculous it is, but... Uh, I've, I've seen enough people get stung there that I wouldn't want to do it even if I didn't have a conviction against it uh, because we learn negatively, and, and we learn here as well. So it's good that the Holy Spirit guided the writing of Scripture because if men wrote the Bible, they would whitewash a whole lot of it that we still find in the Word of God that affords us learning and helps us to uh, learn these lessons. So... Uh, the Bible is a divine book, and the inclusion of chapter 4 really shows us that here in the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah chapter 4, like chapter 3, actually, let's do some reading, and then we'll start making some comments on it here. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is after the revival. All Nineveh gets right. God repented of the evil he was going to do to them. He 
spared Nineveh, forgave them, and this preacher had a phenomenal altar call, tremendous revival, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Ah, that's, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. That's just crazy that a preacher would be mad about it. And he was very angry, exceedingly angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and says, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before into Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. How dare you? That's what he's saying. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Father, I pray you'd help us tonight. We, we, uh, we don't need to be disdainful on Jonah, although we see the mistakes he made, but we do the same things many times. And I pray you'd help us, Lord, this, make this more about a personal inventory than we do about uh, talking down on somebody else's actions. But help us to learn from it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 4, like the rest of Jonah, tells us that he's the type of guy that doesn't do anything half-heartedly. Have you ever noticed, have you ever known people like that? They're like a Walmart lawnmower when they turn on their full blast. I mean, they are just all 100% uh, on full throttle. There's just no half-heartedness in them. If he's going to disobey like he did in chapter 1, he's going to do it with confidence. He's going to get on a ship, go in the opposite direction. He's going to go down to the bottom of the ship. And he's going to take a nap. He's not worried at all. If he's going to repent like he did in chapter 2, he's going to do it with great sincerity. Read that prayer in chapter 2, and he was serious about his repentance. If he's going to preach like he did in chapter 3, he's going to do that with great dedication. And the message that he preached is the kind that you would get your head chopped off for in the place that he preached it, and he did it anyway. So Jonah is not a half halfway kind of guy. He's an all-in. So when he was running, he did it all in. When he was repenting, he did it all in. When he was preaching, he did it all in. And now he's mad. <laughs> now he's mad at God. And guess what? He is all in. He's exceedingly angry, the Bible says here. Uh, very angry. There's nothing half-hearted or passive about his reaction here. He could not be accused of being lukewarm, like it tells us in, the, uh, in Revelation. He was either hot or cold. And chapter 4, he's cold. Chapter 1, he was cold. And now in chapter 4, he's cold. He's very cold spiritually. But God is so gracious and endeavoring to thaw him out and to warm up his heart. So let's look at, uh, let's just kind of break it down. First, looking at the surprise at his displeasure. Because the opening of chapter 4, especially to a preacher, is shocking that this great revival would happen. He held these meetings. The entire city turned to the Lord. Now, we have a, and we might still do it one day, but Dwight Smith, one of the evangelists that preaches here, and I have talked several times. He has a huge tent now. We've talked several times about putting a tent right out there and having tent meetings here. Instead of normal revival meetings in here, we would hold tent meetings out on the big uh, field we have there. Uh, and it still might happen. We, we've talked about the possibility of doing that in the next few years. Um, and wouldn't it be the awesome though? I don't know if you ever went to a tent meeting, but you've got a loudspeaker system people can hear as they drive by. Uh, it's just a great testimony. You always have a lot of visitors come. And wouldn't it be cool if just like Brookings, like not some people of Brookings, like Brookings got right with God. Brookings got saved. Like everybody showed up. Everybody, uh, repents and, um, 
gets right, and and they would have a lot to get right for some people, but uh, everybody gets right with God. What a tremendous, amazing meeting that would be. How thrilled we would be. But no, it says here, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. What is that? Now, today, if a preacher, typical preacher, has even a few decisions at the altar after he's done preaching, he's on cloud nine for days. I can attest to that. I mean, I, I, man, Monday sometimes I'm still floating high, and Tuesday because if we have really good services on Sunday, and uh, you you want to rejoice. If a preacher had the decisions Jonah had, he'd be on Twitter, uh, X now. He'd be on YouTube. He'd be writing a book. He'd be uh, he'd be letting everyone know. Uh, he'd be absolutely beside himself. But Jonah's upset. Jonah's mad about it. We expect the world and the devil to be upset at God's working in a revival. In the book of Acts, you remember how people got really mad when they saw revival and a lot of people getting saved and joining the church and, and getting right and living for the Lord. And, and But these people, that doesn't surprise us that much because they were wicked. They were uh, God-hating people. They were ungodly Christ-rejectors. But to see a Bible-believing preacher upset with revival astonishes us. And yet, it doesn't if we think about it. Because anyone who's been in church long knows that the opposition that comes against the church often comes from within. In fact, the worst opposition in a church comes from within. Uh, we see opposition from without once in a while, but it is always what comes from within. By the way, this is true of a family. It's true of a nation also, true of a church. It, it, the destruction comes from within. And it can usually handle outside pressure, uh, but we ex and, and we expect opposition from the outside. But how sad when hindrances to God's work comes from within the church, and here it came from the preacher. He's upset about God forgiving them. When one runs with the ball in a game, he expects the other side to try to stop him, but when his own teammates tackle him, that's a little bit of a shock. You wouldn't expect your own teammates to tackle you if you've got the football and you're making a run for it. Uh, and so there's a surprise. And then there's a selfishness also in his displeasure here. To, do, to be displeased with God is one of the hallmarks of selfishness. When you see a person unhappy with God or unhappy with their circumstances or complaining about how the Lord is doing things in their life, then you have found a selfish person. Because it is a choice we make, it is either self or God. We're going to choose that. Only two choices on the shelf, serving God or serving self. Those are the only two choices. And so it's either self God. And if we're upset with God, that means our, our priorities are a little out of war, uh, whack there. And we're, we're more focused on self. Jesus said, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Mark, uh, Matthew 16, 24. So selfishness has to be ruled out if Christ is followed. It's deny self or deny the Savior. But notice here his selfishness. We see it in his pronouns. Verses 2 and 3. I'm just going to read them to you without the other words. He prayed this. I, my, I, my, I, 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 my, me, me. Now you tell me what his focus is on. He's on himself. And, and by the way, when your focus goes from this, looking to serve God and others, and it starts to do this, and focus on you and your needs, and what somebody said to you, and you can't believe that they looked over you for this, and, and, uh, and, and you're, you're 
you're just obsessed with how people are treating you, you're in trouble. That selfishness is going to lead to a really bad attitude. And selfish people are very egocentric. And so when they're talking, it's all I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. It's all about them. And so the world revolves around them and their experiences. They push God aside in favor of themselves, and that's exactly what Jonah did here. Not only in his pronouns, but in his philosophy. Look at, in his selfishness, Jonah is very concerned about where God displays his grace. This is what he said. I knew that thou art a gracious God. I knew that about you. Somebody lies to you and you find out. I knew you lied. Well, here he's saying to God, I knew you were gracious. It's so funny to see, to, to imagine his tone of voice and look, look what he's saying. And merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness. He was not complaining that God had grace. He was complaining how God spent that grace, who he gave grace to. He had no problem when God showed him grace when he's in the bottom of the, uh, the ocean in a fish. He had no problem then. In fact, he asked God for grace then. Oh, give me grace. And when God gave grace to him, yes, Lord, you're such a good God, so gracious. But and, and that's how some people are. As long as the grace is for me and mine, God is a gracious God. But there's some people, if we're honest, we don't think God should show that much grace to. Jonah did not complain about the grace of God when he restored Israel, according to his prophecy they talked about in 2 Kings chapter 14, Jonah's prophecy about Israel. But Nineveh was a different story. They were Israel's enemy. Jonah wanted to see them destroyed. And he wanted... So Jonah wants Israel to have a monopoly on God's grace. Because we deserve it. They don't deserve it. How, how much trouble are we going to get into if we start deciding who deserves God's grace? Let me ask you this. Did you deserve it? Yeah, well, naturally I deserved it. I mean, I'm me, of course. He is so lucky to have me and you, of course. We deserve it. And that's how we start to think if we're not careful. But we did not deserve it. I did not deserve it. Nobody, none of us deserved it. And so we'd better not start getting the attitude that, uh, of actually getting upset when God shows somebody else grace and not, uh, not uh, rather than us. Jonah's selfish philosophy is all too common and it shows up sometimes in the church. We see it in church rivalries and when others succeed or, uh, others get more of a recognition than we do or whatever purpose. So let's be careful about that. So we saw it in his pronouns and his philosophy, also in the past. This selfish philosophy that Jonah has is not a new thing that just fell on him in chapter 4 uh, because it had already been a problem before that. Jonah admitted it in verse 2. Was this not my saying while I was yet in my country? So Jonah said, I knew all the way back then that you were a gracious God. Like it's a slam on him. He, this is something that, in fact, this was his cause for running away to Tarshish in the first place. Because he was afraid God would have grace with them. Now, this brings up a question. Does jo did Jonah really repent in the fish? If he had a bad attitude in chapter 1, he has a bad attitude in chapter 4. Did he mean what he said when he was praying in the fish? Uh, I believe he did. I believe he really repented. What we learn about this, though, is the truth about the persistency of our old sins to keep showing up again and again. Old temptations are like old soldiers. They never die. 
they just keep coming back. They keep coming back. If we don't continually battle them, they'll overcome us. And how seriously then we need to heed what Jesus said uh, to the disciples in the garden, Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so I, I do believe Jonah was sincere when he was praying in the fish. We do this too. We are sincere about serving God, and then a week later, a month later, we can have a bad attitude. We need to get that right. And then we get back on fire for God, and we get back in our Bible, and we get back to doing right. And guess what? Down the road, something happens, and we get a bad attitude again. It happens to all of us, and it was happening here to Jonah. And then I want to look at the slander from his displeasure. Jonah's displeasure slandered God. Look at what he did here in the beginning. He actually blamed God for his sin. This takes some chutzpah for someone to do that. He blamed God for his sin. Look what he says in verse 2. Therefore, okay, therefore why? Because you were gracious. Therefore, I fled before into Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. So, God, it's your fault I ran all the way back when you first told me to come here and I ran to Tarshish. It's because of you, you're a gracious God. As far as Jonah's concerned in this verse, God is responsible for his sin. The slandering of God's character is pretty perverted thinking. I hear this a lot. Uh, somebody will curse or somebody will get very angry or somebody does something in my presence or in my knowledge and they say, well, that's just how God made me. Um, no, <laughs> that's how you made you by your choices that you make. If a person lets out, and I've had a, just recently somebody let a whole stream of curse words and, um, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that, but that's who I am and that's how God made me. No, it's not. Uh, we can't start blaming Him for our sin. Okay, God, God, yeah, we all have a personality, we all, but we all make choices of how we live. So when we're mad at God, our, our minds will not function properly when it comes to moral judgment, and this is what's happening here. Uh, Romans 1.28, and they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and God gave them over to reprobate mind. So you, you might still think and talk of God, but not like the way he's doing things. And this is what this Jonah's situation was here. And he then blames God. And then he belittles God. He, he, he makes his character, his tremendous mercy, being slow to anger, his forgiveness, he makes it look like a fault instead of a positive thing. Uh, the way that he said it wasn't a compliment. Uh, he, he's belittling God for showing grace to Nineveh. Now, it's interesting because this statement is found almost exactly two other times in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, verse 13, and Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 uses almost those exact words, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, repentance, the of evil. And in both of those places, it's praising God for those things. God, you're wonderful for those traits. You're, you're repentive evil and you, you're gracious and you're merciful and you're kind and you're forgiving. But what has given other men reason to praise God gives Jonah uh, a, a, an, an, an occasion here to slander God. What's the difference? This is not a theological problem. This is an attitude problem. It's an attitude problem. 
And how much of our issues with our relationship with God comes from just having a stinking attitude, a bad attitude, angry, bitter, uh, mad at the world, mad at God for whatever reason. And uh, when a person gets physically sick, uh, he has a problem digesting the best of food. Um, I, I uh, had a small victory with my almost two weeks of sickness. I lost 10 pounds. I, I'm sorry, I lost five pounds. Uh, and uh, so good diet plan. Go out and uh, let somebody who's sick breathe in your face and you might get lose some weight. Uh, but I lost five pounds. One of the reasons was I wasn't eating much. I just didn't have an appetite. I just wasn't eating much. Because when you're sick physically, you're not able to handle food as well. Well, when you're sick spiritually, you're not going to handle spiritual food correctly either. And and he... Uh, so this the very thing that causes one man, Joel and, and in Exodus, causes praise to God, he's using it as an occasion to slander God. Man, we get... we A lot of our... Uh, uh, what is the phrase I'm trying to think of? Zig Ziglar. Uh, it's it's not it's aptitude. Uh, no, it's attitude more than aptitude that that uh, determines your altitude. That's what it is. So uh, we we need to be very careful about our attitude. Taking our faults that we have and blaming them on God and making Him responsible is not the right direction to go. And then. Uh, we're going to end here with the supplication of his displeasure here. The book of Jonah speaks a lot about prayer. It's often overlooked. Chapter 1, the mariners are praying that the storm about the storm that's threatening the ship. Uh, the shipmaster calls Jonah to prayer. Uh, the mariners pray about throwing Jonah overboard. Chapter 2 is all about Jonah's prayer and the fish. Chapter 3, the king prays and then tells the people there to cry mightily unto God. So they're supposed to pray for forgiveness. And... Here in chapter 4, we have Jonah praying again, but this time it's a prayer of complaint. And the prayer in chapter 4 is the worst prayer of all those prayers in the book. I mean, we, we've got the rock bottom of prayers here. Uh, now, it's true that prayerlessness is a sin, but if this is your prayer, you might remain prayerless because this is not a good prayer. Oh, God, just let me die. Uh, been better for Jonah not to have prayed at all than this type of prayer. Everything about it is bad. It did not honor God. It did not edify the person that was praying. Uh, to pray as Jonah prayed here is actually sin, in my opinion. Let's look at why. It was an unprincipled request. He His request to die is not motivated by good motives, good principles. It's b bad ones. His <coughs> prayer was the prayer of a scorner, a quitter, and a negotiator. Uh, the scorner in the in the attitude of being a scorner, it insults God. It discredits God's wisdom and God's grace. Jonah is so upset by the action of God's grace to Nineveh that he wants to die. It's like saying, over my dead body you'll spare Nineveh. That's essentially what he's saying there. Prayer requests are to honor God. This one does not honor God. And when we pray contrary to the will of God, we dishonor Him. We need to check to see if the prayers we're praying to Him are in agreement in accordance to His will. That's the, that's the best way to uh, pray anyway. But it's also the prayer of a quitter. He no longer wants to be a part of God's team. He's through. He quits. Jonah's going to take his ball and go home. He's upset at what God's doing. He cannot accept the situation that God has created here in forgiving the Ninevites. Now, listen, we may not ask God to take our life. But like Jonah, we often have trouble accepting the situations God puts us in. 
And we need to examine our hearts on that. If we can't change the situation, we decide to quit. We give up. We stop going to church. We stop reading our Bible. Uh, we no longer try to make the best of the situation God has given us. This type of attitude always, always leads you further and further down. And then it's also the prayer of a negotiator. This is an interesting question. I, I, I saw this question. I had to think about it. Did Jonah really want to die? Or was he using this tactic to try to pressure God? If you're going to do that, I'll just die. I suspect he had at least had hopes that God might alter his decision. In some ways, this is like an ultimatum given to God. Uh, that, you know what, if you're going to do it that way, I'm done. Then just kill me. I've on several occasions in the past had people quit a position, a position not because they want to quit, but because they have an agenda. And uh, they, they expect that when they come to resign a position that I will, no, 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 we want to keep you, and then I'll make allowances they wanted in the first place. You know what I'm saying? It's a negotiation tool. By the way, in case you're wondering, I always accept resignations. <laughs> if somebody resigns, uh, long before a person resigns, they resign in their heart. So I, if I talk them into staying or I make all kinds of allowances for them to stay, it just sets up a future where those ultimatums will keep coming. So I, I don't deal with that at all anyway. But the practice is done by those who think they are more important than they really are. Uh, they think that since they're so essential, the pastor, or in this case God, would rather... Rather than lose their service, they would change what they were doing because they're so important to the work of God. Jonah obviously thought he was pretty important too, and we see that selfishness in his prayer. Now his request to die here is just plain self-centeredness. And uh, I think it's, it was part of a negotiating prayer. That's just a, an opinion I have. But it was, not, it was an unanswered request. God didn't answer Jonah's request, and Jonah better be glad for it. We often complain that God does not answer our prayers, but some of his non-answers um, are the best things for us. I mean, we're probably all guilty of giving unwise prayers. Anybody but me have ever prayed an unwise prayer? Oh, Lord, I need this job, or I need this position, or I need this mate, or whatever it is that we pray for unwisely. At the very least, maybe maybe it might not be unwise to us in our mind, but it might be uninformed. And we're not, we don't know the future, and so we don't know what we're asking for. Can I tell you that when it really comes down to it as we pray, we're very ignorant when because we don't know the future. So what we're praying for, we don't know how it'll turn out. God knows how it'll turn out. And so we ought to really have a lot of trust for Him. We don't always know what's best for us. God always does. So God in His grace doesn't answer all our prayers. Sometimes, and I like, oh, I love the, that New Testament, in the New Testament it gives that verse, um, the Holy Spirit, um, I can't remember the exact wording, but we know not how to pray for as we ought, so the Spirit utters, makes utterances for us. So, because we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to ask for. And we think we know, based on our little knowledge, but God has a future, and we don't know. And so, that picture that I have in my mind when I read that verse is, us praying for something in the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 no. That's not good for them. Not at this time. And so God's unanswered prayers are sometimes the most graceful thing He can do to you. And He didn't answer this one. It's interesting, and it's ironic, that Jonah, 
while he's complaining about God's grace to Nineveh, God at the exact same time is displaying great grace to him in not killing him and gently trying to bring him back to where he ought to be. How marvelous God's grace is. And it's we, we are sort of sick sometimes in thinking uh, maybe a lack of appreciation for it because we kind of feel like we deserve it. We just do, naturally speaking. We wouldn't say it, but eh, we just kind of feel, you know, I, I understand God having grace with me. I don't understand God having grace with that person, but I understand it with me. All right, we, we think that way. And, but we better not be displeased when God manifests it to others because we are no more deserving than anyone else on this planet. It's hard for our pride to see that, but that's absolutely true. Justin Bieber deserves God's grace just as much as I do. All right, that's hard to say, isn't it? But he does. I, there's nobody in the world that, 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 I, that I deserve grace more than they do. And so let's not be upset. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We don't have a monopoly on God's grace. And so let's never, ever get to the point to where we uh, become selective like Jonah did. Now, man, I can't imagine but what, how bad we'd have to sink. But let's never get to the point where somebody gets saved and it upsets us. That's a bad place to be spiritually. So let's be uh, tender to God's grace.